Welcome in everybody, week 17 edition of the Total Coverage Podcast here on the SiriusXM Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kirk Morrison, excited as always to be with you as we preview the playoffs upcoming. That's right, week 17 is over. We are now in the playoff portion of the Total Coverage Podcast. But man, all 256 games have been played. And we'll discuss some of the performances of week 17 on this edition of the Total Coverage Podcast. Always remember, you can find the podcast. That's right, the Total Coverage Podcast on the new SiriusXM app and wherever you get your podcast. I'm at Kirk Morrison on Twitter, at Kirk Morrison, the same thing on Instagram. Always love the feedback, always love your tweets, texts, whatever it may be. Uh, to get what's off your mind and uh, get it into my mind. And who knows, it may fall onto the show. So appreciate you always of taking this ride for me and sort of a little change of gears here, right? A little stick shift, right? We're going to start off in, in, in first gear because I want to just change it up a little bit. Obviously, we've uh, got all the way through the season, but as we head into the playoffs before we preview or before we review last week's game, I want to get sort of an aspect of the game that no one talks enough about. And I've seen it every single year, but we forget it, right? People want to talk about the quarterback situation or how's the defense going to play, which running back is available. Will the offensive line and defensive lines, how will they play? But yet no one talks about special teams, especially the punting position, because there's going to be some situations, especially for those matchups that we'll preview as well, uh, on the in the NFC and the AFC, where teams will be playing each other from the same division, right? Whether it's the Seahawks and the Rams, or it's the Browns and the Steelers, you still got to remember that, yeah, um, playoffs, yeah, these guys are going to know each other. So punters will be, or great punts will definitely need to be at a premium. And the reason why? Because these are going to be some low-scoring games. There ain't going to be no shootouts. These teams know each other, and that's where the punters come in and how they can pin a team down. And so nobody better, I think, than to ask a guy who's, you know, won some awards doing that is Tom Hackett. Tom, um, so many questions that I want to get uh, to you because I know you do a lot of work. You're also a KSL sports host, so I want to make sure that I just get your NFL takes as well. But when it comes to just the, the, the punting aspect of football like when did you start it when did it become a thing like just just the origins because a lot of people when especially when you hear hey i'm a football player people's like oh what position like linebacker quarterback running back and you're like yeah i'm the punter you know like, like how did that all come about um well i won't bore you with the long story kirk thank you for having me uh, as always <laughs> yeah. but essentially I, I i never played the game of American football until um, I, I played in college. So I grew up my entire life kicking different shaped balls. Um, I actually started off playing soccer and then transitioned to what, what people in Australia called Australian rules football. Uh, and, and long story short, um, the high school system back home is different than what it is out here. It's, it's quite difficult and I didn't do very well. I must admit, uh, and I was kind of uh, at a crossroad, I guess. And I saw a, a news outlet uh, the summer of 2010. So around this time, actually, around this time, about a decade ago, I was sitting watching the nightly six o'clock news. And um, 
a famous Australian rules football player was thinking about coming and playing in the NFL. I thought, oh, that's cool. You know, like I, I wasn't good enough to go professional in Australia and play Australian rules football, but the strength from, from my game was kicking. So long story short, I, right. I emailed this bloke who uh, goes by Chappie. He's uh, the founder of Pro Kick Australia. And um, he asked, I, I asked him, he said, come down for a tryout. I shanked every punt. I didn't hit the ball well. And he said, you're good enough. I said, great. Uh, so I went back to my old man. He said, uh, how'd it go? I said, good. He said, I'm good enough. He said, all right, I better meet this bloke. Came back. Uh, my old man and, and Chappie met. And uh, and about 12 months later, I was on a one-way flight to Salt Lake City, Utah, which is where I still am. And uh, I punted for the University mm-hmm. of Utah for four years. Uh, I had a lot of fun while doing it. And then um, I was fortunate. I had, I had you know, a cup of tea with the New York Jets. It didn't work out. I had a few other tryouts. I said, bugger this. I'm not going to just stick around and try and make the NFL when I know it's really hard, especially at the punter position. There isn't, there's only 32 jobs, as you know, Kirk. And um, I just decided to move on with life and, and, and join kind of the media ranks, if you will, here in, here in uh, Salt Lake City, more of a, a local platform, not necessarily national. But uh, that's the short answer to kind of how it all came about, I guess. It, it's kind of a whirlwind. Well, you know, I've always been intrigued by the punting aspect of it. I was actually on the punt team all the way until maybe about my third or fourth year in the NFL. So there was just an aspect of punting. Uh, I was around one of the game's best, and Shane Leckler was a guy who, um, you know, I watched him. I watched his craft. I watched how he practiced. I watched how he, the corner kicks and the coffin kicks, all of that stuff. I didn't know what it meant. And then in my broadcasting uh, career so far, I had a chance to meet Darren Bennett. And he actually took me on a tu- a punting tutorial, Tom, like literally uh, a punting tutorial. And so I realized the lineage of Australian punters and kickers and now the, the academies and how guys are saying, hey, there's opportunity, especially at the collegiate ranks and then maybe possibly the NFL. And we're seeing Australian born kickers in the National Football League. Like how big is that dream down in Australia for guys who see the future in punting and kicking and what it could lead to as far as a career? Well, I mean, it's it's growing and there's no doubt about that. When I was dreaming, I guess, of, of coming over here and playing collegiately, I was one of about 10 players that were a part of the academy. Uh, and only only half of us, only about five of us were looking at coming to college. The other five were looking at going to the CFL. They were older guys, you know, entering their 30s, realized that the college dream probably had, had come and gone. Um, nowadays, Kirk, I mean, you're looking at uh, 40, 50 kids that are, that are showing up training with, uh, with Nathan Chapman. I, I can't forget John Smith is a big, big part of what they're doing down there as well. And, um, and they're just, they're, they're shipping guys off left, right and center. And, and, and it's interesting times have changed. So, uh, I was a preferred walk on at Utah, uh, Carl Whittingham, who I'm, I'm, I'm still very close with the head coach out here. He, he didn't give me a scholarship because he said, you'd never played the bloody game before. I said, well, fair enough. I mean, you know, I guess that makes a bit of sense. Um, I had to earn the scholarship after uh, a year being in Salt Lake City. Nowadays, Kirk, that's not how it works. Is if you don't, if you're a college coach and you do not have a scholarship available, then don't even don't even bother talking to the guys down in Australia because they have so much demand that these college teams are coming to them. 
and saying, who do you have? We have a scholarship. And they'll say, right, here you go. Here's him. Here's him. Here's him. And they just ship them off like wild. It's crazy stuff. And uh, in just a decade, it's, it's, been, it's been fascinating to, to, I guess, watch it all unfold. It's pretty unique. I wasn't the first guy to come over and do it. I was, um, I was towards the start of it all. But uh, a decade later, to see the growth of the game and where we're at now, there's more people in the NFL which I'm sure we'll talk about here soon. Um, it's really cool. I just think it's it's different and it's it's revolutionizing the game of, of American football in a way that I'm sure many fans of the game probably couldn't in, envisioned um, a decade ago. You know, one of the things that you've you mentioned a couple of times is Nathan Chapman and John Smith at Pro Kick Australia, um, how they've got the academy and they're helping guys get to the next level. And just thinking about some of the Australian born punters and kickers right now, uh, Cam Johnston with the Eagles, Michael Dixon with the Seahawks, Mitch Wisnowski with the 49ers and Jordan Berry with the Steelers, just to name a few. And it seems like we know the names, but yet. It's the opportunities now, especially last week and uh, last weekend, which was the final weekend, week 17 for the NFL. But then the playoffs, like these are the names that you really start to hear now, Tom, because the games are watched just differently. Like regular season, cool. Like it's so many different games going on. People could care less. But all of a sudden now when it's the marquee game or I call it these standalone games, you realize how important special teams are. And now we may see more of these guys on the main stage because everything that they do will now be scrutinized. So I just bring that up because who are the guys right or who is the guy right now that you think may be at the top of his game when it comes to these Australian born kickers? Well, uh, I'm biased. Uh, Mitch Wisnowski was a punter at Utah. Actually, he punted after I immediately following my career at Utah. So I, I got to know Mitch really well. Um, and we still stay in contact and talk a ton. So um, I think he's right up there. Um, but it, like, it's, it's incredibly difficult for me to say who's the guy at the minute. Uh, Dicker was an all pro guy uh, last year. And that was his rookie season, which is quite a phenomenal achievement. Jordan Berry's been doing it the longest out of any of the guys you mentioned. And, and Cam Johnston uh, was on track. And I, I, I don't know if he, he, he still was, but he was on track to break the Eagles punting record um, earlier, earlier this season. So uh, late last year, I guess, but I think what's interesting and what's worth noting Kirk is um, there's this narrative surrounding Australian punters that, you know, we're all cut from this same cloth and, and I guess that's that's far from the truth. Um, you know, the way I played at Utah was different to the way Mitch handled himself, um, which is different to you know, Dicko up in Seattle. He played at Texas, and um, if you if you would have watched the game against Seattle and the Niners, you would have you would have learned just by watching, visualizing, and seeing how how the punters um, punted a football. Dicko's technique is incredibly different than the way Mitch goes about his business. So there's no right or wrong way to punt. It's a golf swing. You watch professional golf, every professional golfer swings a tad differently than, than each other. And it's all about kind of figuring out how your body works and maneuvers and, 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 and building a foundation that way. So when I watch these guys punt, I don't necessarily, or if I'm helping somebody punt, I don't necessarily tell them this is the only way to do it because it's not true. My body's different than, than your body. And so um, 
I think that's something that that's a narrative anyway that I would like to further, um, I guess, develop and progress to American coaches um, because uh, I, I think right now you know, a lot of the Australian kids are winning these Ray Guy awards and, and all American nods and honors and all that. And um, it's, it's appealing because some guys are really, really good. Some guys aren't as good and that's okay. We're all different. Um, we're all unique and, uh, it's about getting the getting the most and the best out of uh, any individual, like 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 good coaches should do. Yeah, um, just a couple more minutes with you, Tom. Um, could you give me um, all the kicks in your arsenal, or just in because I know there's the banana kick. That's one. Uh, there's the is an end over end kick. Um, just all the names that that you have for the people out there listening, just so that when they watch college football, NFL then you see the kick in the air. You're like, oh, I know what that kick is now. That's a, a rainbow kick or uh, that's the in and out kick. Like, <laughs> do you know the names of all the kicks or the ones that you used? Well, I'll preface this by saying uh, I was a tad boring, which is maybe why I didn't make it in the NFL in hindsight. I'll probably look back on that and say, <laughs> no. man, if I was a bit more adventurous, I, I may have gotten a better look. But I stuck with the drop punt, which is the end over end. The drop. Um, uh -huh. That that was really the 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 only kick I I, I utilized because I I didn't personally feel the need to to kick another style of punt. But uh, with with that being said, there are other styles and techniques you can use. Um, the banana kick you mentioned, which goes for a right footed kicker or punter, it goes from left to right, and there's check side. Uh, which should go the opposite direction, right to left. And I hope I'm not mixing this up. It has been some time since I played Australian rules football. Uh, the knuckleball is now, I think, probably outside of the end-to-end -end punt. The knuckleball has kind of uh, come into this conversation and really sparked some interest. Um, it's it's a punt that's hard to it's hard to hit because it's uh, you kind of got to hit it more central and and you hold the ball uh, very very differently. Um, but it moves in the air. I don't know if you're into into the game of soccer, Kirk, or you've seen soccer highlights. I'm sure you know who Cristiano Ronaldo is. I think most people do. He he hits his free kicks. If you ever watch him hit a free kick, oftentimes the football or the soccer ball, I should say, will move in the air. With, it's not spinning, but it's kind of hovering. Um, and that's essentially the knuckleball, uh, where the ball will move. Uh, and it's very unpredictable, makes it very hard to catch. So I guess they're kind of the big ones. And then um, everybody comes up with their own names for them. Um, a lot of the, you know, what's cool is a lot of these punters can actually kick both feet, even though they don't show that a lot. Uh, they can, they can kick on their left foot as they can on their right. So um, uh, it's, it's a neat little art and it's tricky. It's really hard. I, I, I coach, I often get hit up out here in Utah you know, uh, parents of, uh, I don't know, 12 to 16 year olds are like, Hey Tom, do you mind coming down to the local high school and, and teaching, you know, little Frankie how to kick a ball? And I go, yeah, no problem. You know, whatever, let's go do it. And, uh, and I think what they realize, you know, it, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty bloody hard, um, to do it well. Anyway, I mean, anybody can kick a ball just like anybody can throw a ball, but nobody can throw a ball like Peyton Manning or Tom Brady can throw a football. Um, and it's 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 really hard. And uh, I hope Kirk one day commentators will kind of give punters um, a bit more leeway in the sense that you know anytime a punter makes a mistake, it's always chastised and kind of 
frowned upon or they jump right down their throats. And I'm going to myself, well, man, have you ever tried to do it yourself? You're, which, I'm a big fan of uh, Pat McAfee, actually, speaking of broadcasters. He's kind of the guy that, you know, he backs us to the hills and back. And, um, and I'm all mm. about that. So anyway. Yeah. Well, I love Pat, by the way. He's an awesome guy. Um, and look, he tells it like it is, too. But look, last question for you, Tom, is that as this uh, we get into the playoffs uh, for the National Football League right now, NFL. Um, I mentioned before that every play will be scrutinized. So, uh, you know, kind of really quickly, take me through what's that feeling of hitting not only a great ball, but then having it down inside the 10 or inside the five, knowing not only what that does for your team, but how it puts them in a better situation defensively to go out there and try to keep them down there. Yeah, I think I think what we've seen over the years from from Australian punters, Kirk, is that um, that end of punt in particular, and the way it's hit, and and the backspin that it can produce, um, has really given teams advantages. When uh, an Australian or an American, Americans can do it now as well, uh, when when they can hit that ball effectively. And so uh, there's no better feeling for a punter when you're standing somewhere around midfield and you know exactly what you have to accomplish. And to be quite frank, many of the guys. That, that are Australian, they've hit that style of punt their entire life. So that is the one area of their game where they should stand back 14, 15 yards from the long snapper and just know that it's going to go inside the 10, hopefully somewhere around the five-yard line. Um, and you've seen the numbers. Many big football fans out there know that if, you start, if an offense starts inside their 10 or inside their five, wherever it may be, the chances of them just scoring points – you know, drops drastically. I mean, it, it becomes incredibly difficult to uh, even get yourself in a field goal range, depending on the type of defense you're coming up against. So, um, so that that that's that it's really special, and I think it's uh, it plays a big big role. Uh, I read something online uh, which I hadn't really thought of, but I guess you know, there's a reason the 40 yard dash is so prevalent, so important, especially at you know the combine and these testing sites, and it's the 40 yards is essentially the, the, the average punt. It should go 40 yards. And uh, I have no idea if that's the reason they run the 40-yard dash or not, but I'm going with it. Uh, and I think <laughs> yeah. it's pretty neat. And, uh, and I'm all about kind of giving these punters more love. Yeah, no, trust me, uh, people find ways to work the 40-yard dash in no matter what time. So if, if someone says it, just like, just go ahead with it because that's their belief. That's what they think. So I never tell someone no or they're crazy. I just say, yeah, you know what? You're right. So that's and it's more so for the guys on the outside, the gunners. But look, Tom, man, I, I appreciate the time. Uh, appreciate just getting your perspective on the punting aspect uh, of football. And I look forward to seeing just how the special teams aspect this week uh, in the playoffs, trust me, I've seen it so many different times how the special teams aspect affects the way that the playoffs are either won or lost, man. So we just appreciate the time. You know, not too often you get a chance to talk to a two-time Ray Guy Award winner and a Ute, by the way, a Ute, not a Utes. It's the Utah Ute, former Ute and NFL kicker Tom Hackett. Appreciate the time, my man. All right, Kirk, you're a good man. Thank you. 
Hey, everybody, this is Fran Freshella, host of the podcast World of Basketball. Each week, we chat with the players, coaches, and executives who have helped grow the game of basketball around the world, like Toronto Raptors championship winning coach Nick Nurse. I, I always say this. I, I, I don't know why I picked this number, Fran, but I always say the X and O stuff's about 15% of the job. It really yeah. is. Episodes are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app or wherever you get your podcasts. Wow, as we just take a look back at week 17, first of all, appreciate it again, uh, Tom Hackett. That was great. Just want to give everybody an understanding of what I feel coming up in, in, in the playoffs. Watch it. I'm telling you, it's going to be a couple punts throughout the week, and you're going to be like, man, that was critical in helping the team win. Often overlooked, but when you're analyzing the game, such as myself, I look at every single play. But as we review week 17, uh, there was no performance that I wanted to watch more than anything than Derrick Henry of the Tennessee Titans. Derrick Henry accomplished something on sun last Sunday, week 17. Um, something that, you know, against the Texans that I can kind of supplanted him as one of the top backs, I think, in the NFL. Derrick Henry went over 2,000 yards, right? And I started the hashtag because people kept saying, what is it? So I started the hashtag King2K, all right? King2K, because once you rush for over 2,000 yards in a season, that moniker goes with you forever, right? Like I remember I was, you know, when I was in the NFL, uh, a guy who went over 2,000 yards was, was C, uh, Chris Johnson. And once Chris Johnson, former running back also of the Titans, when he went over 2,000 yards, he became CJ2K. Like it was just CJ, but when he went over 2,000 yards, he became CJ2K. Adrian Peterson kind of stands alone, right? He does. We didn't need to put the AP2K or AD2K. It's just like this is Adrian Peterson. Like he didn't need the initials. Like he's still, I think, a first ballot Hall of Famer and the credentials of one of the best backs ever to play in the NFL. And you look at the long list of guys. You know, J J Lou 2K was Jamal Lewis 2K. Uh, Terrell Davis was TD 2K, but he's a Hall of Famer. But I think like just the hashtag really kind of started with CJ2K and now it's elevated to where, you know, right now currently King2K for King Henry 2000 yards is, is, is a huge accomplishment, right? And then for it to come in a victory, right? The Tennessee Titans, they beat the Texans 41-38. Uh, they got an AFC South title first time since 2008. Remember last year they got to the playoffs not as a division winner, but as a wild card. Remember Houston won last year. So not only do they beat the division winner from a year ago, uh, but they make it to the playoffs. And you watch the performance of Derrick Henry. He came into the game needing 200, and I believe 20, 223, 224, I remember. Yeah, 223 to get to 2K. And I was wondering, okay, how would it happen? And in a gotta have it game, a gotta have it moment, he ran for a career high 250 yards. <laughs> like you're trying to get to 2000 and yet you run for 250. And th this is this is the crazy part about it, right? Cuz he finished the season with 2027 yards. 2027, all right? But people are going to say, "Well, how did he get it done?" 
Like, what did he do? How did it happen? And that just shows you the greatness of Derrick Henry. We've seen it. We've talked about it at times on this program, Total Coverage Podcast. Derrick Henry running the football against eight and nine men boxes, it doesn't matter to him. He runs through those boxes. He runs through eight, nine men guys there. He has the ability to make the one guy miss. And when you make the one guy miss, it sets you up for big time plays, big yardage chunks, and it's over and over. Derrick Henry wears you down. It's a big back, 240 plus pounds, 250, running downhill at six foot three, six, three and a half. No one wants to tackle that in the fourth quarter. No one wants to tackle that after halftime, let alone you know the fourth quarter. So that's how he continues to do it. And then you have a mentality of their offensive line. You have a philosophy, right? You have an identity that's built by your head coach and Mike Vrabel that we are going to run it. And I don't care how many guys they have in the box, right? Because they go left, they go right, they go in between the tackles, they go a little bit outside the tackles. And then on top of that, I think an underrated part of his game is him out of the backfield on the short passes, because now you're actually getting him out on the perimeter. And when you're out on the perimeter, we're not talking about linebackers. We're talking about safeties, cornerbacks. Yeah, those are even smaller guys that he's got to deal with. And I've seen some men make some grown up business decisions. Like, do I really want to go head to head with this guy? Because also too, you could be put on a meme. You'd be put on a t-shirt. <laughs> you could be put on a, a, a caption, right? Or you'd be on the highlights. Nobody wants that. So those are all the different aspects of how Derrick Henry right now currently is one of the top backs in the NFL. And him just going over 2,000 yards just gives him something that not many backs have been able to do. He's only the eighth, I'll repeat that, the eighth running back in NFL history to rush for 2,000 yards. It hasn't been a lot of men, right? You think about in the Super Bowl era, just the Super Bowl era, which we know right now coming up this year will be the 55th Super Bowl. So you just say 55 years of the Super Bowl era, there's only been eight guys in 55 seasons. That is an, an outstanding accomplishment. One that um, I was happy to watch that game, happy to analyze it, happy to see what he was able to do. And kind of moving forward, you think about uh, just securing his second straight rushing title as well. Because when you think about the Tennessee Titans, everyone's going to do what? Think about you had to stop Derrick Henry. Even knowing that going forward, he still was able to win the rushing title in the NFL this year. Multiple 200-yard rushing games, which just hasn't been done in NFL history, right? Over and over the way that he's doing it. So, again, is it is it crazy to say that he's still getting better? Is it crazy to say that he hasn't reached his ceiling? I'm not. I'm not saying it at all. I think he's got some 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 uh, some years left on those tires. We'll see how what it looks like next year. But f such a big, powerful man to do what he was able to do, and not only take his team to victory, take his team to a division title. Man, kudos to you, Derrick Henry. And look, appreciate you. You're getting a shout out. Uh, you are my offensive player of the year, by the way. You know, coming from the uh, Total Coverage Podcast Awards, I'm giving those awards out too at the end of the program. So just want to throw that out there, giving you a heads up. Um, yeah, your awards in the mail, by the way. 
<laughs> Appreciate again an outstanding performance by Derrick Henry. That's how winning is done. Another performance week 17 is, look, there's a couple teams that are trying to fight to get into the playoffs. And it was a kind of a three team race in the NFC, Arizona, the Los Angeles Rams, and also the Chicago Bears. It seems like, look, the Bears are kind of climbing up a, a steep mountain, Steve Hill, because they had to go up against the Green Bay Packers. And they're going up against Aaron Rodgers, the MVP Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that's a tough one. So we know it's going to be tough sledding for them to actually win that game, but they could still get in the playoffs if the Rams beat the Arizona Cardinals. Well, the Rams did that. But they didn't do it with Jared Goff, their quarterback. They did it with a guy by the name of John Walford. Yeah, Walford. He's considered a rookie, but he's actually been in the league. He just was cut a couple seasons ago by the New York Jets. Then played in the AAF. That's right, the, Amer the Alliance of American Football. No longer around, but he played there. And he actually led the league in touchdown passes. I was lucky enough to have covered him at Wake Forest as a broadcaster. And, you know, during his game, I'm like, man, this kid's pretty good. You know, Wake Forest quarterback. And the game I actually did was him versus North Carolina State. And we're talking about, you know, going up against the likes of uh, Bradley Chubb on one end and Street. I mean, some of the that defensive line from North Carolina State a couple years ago. And he went out there and he performed unlike any other. I said, man, this kid's got some potential. And I'm not saying he's a starter. He's going to blow the league or take the league by storm. But I think he deserves an opportunity. And he finally got his opportunity as the backup to Jared Goff. He had to come in because Jared Goff um, broke his thumb, had some screws put in, and it was on John Walford to have to yield the Rams to victory, bring them to uh, a playoff. And so now moving forward, how was, going, how was this going to happen? Like what was going to happen for the Rams? And John Walford did everything that you would think a backup quarterback was supposed to do just not lose the game right but yet his first throw second play of the game literally for offensively for the red second play he throws an interception and i said uh-oh <laughs> put my hand over my head and said wow <laughs> this is not going to be good but let me just show you how the nfl works and why i love it so much it's because in that same amount of time he was able to not only catch himself take a deep breath and went out there and go 22 of 38, 231 yards and 56 yards rushing. No, he didn't throw a touchdown. And there were some failed attempts in the red zone, but there were penalties. There was a fumble by his offense. Things that kind of were out of his control. But what I did watch was a guy who didn't lose the game. You know, that was his job. Just don't lose the game for us. And he did that. He went out there and he played well. So, like, I loved watching John Walford just take control of the offense, not necessarily try to do too much, but stayed within himself. And you could see him get comfortable in the game. Arizona defensively, just outside of Patrick Peterson, maybe Hassan Reddick a little bit here or there, um, they were reeling defensively. And then offensively, Kyler Murray was banged up, so it was just a bad game overall. And you could just see that the Rams were the better team that day because they had a quarterback that was going to come in and just not mess things up. That's what he did. And so 
That's that that was the John Walford story. Now the question is, what's going to happen if he has to start another game? Like as we tape the total coverage podcast here midweek, heading to the wild card round of the playoffs, the Los Angeles Rams have not named their starter for the game. So I guess when we do uh, the wild card edition of the total coverage podcast, we'll have more information on kind of just what's going on with that team and then just what's going on around the National Football League as well. Because there were some outstanding performances and things that, um, you know, throughout the weekend. Right. And if you look at just the way this thing is going to shape up um, just, you know, really quickly, you got the wild card round Saturday, three games. Right. You got Indianapolis Colts taking on the Buffalo Bills, man. I'm excited about that matchup because I think that Indianapolis has a culture. They have an identity. They can win that game. And as much as Buffalo Bills fans are upset that the NFL expanded to seven teams and they're crying about, we should have a bye. We don't want to play this. Why the NFL? Look, man, you made it to the playoffs. Just relax, all right? You ain't got to be all upset. Okay, they expanded the playoffs. Because last year, if had y'all been, or this year, man, man, forget last year. Had y'all been a seventh seed, y'all wouldn't have been crying about, man, they should have just kept six teams. No, because if y'all would have been a seventh seed, y'all this year, y'all would have been took that and been happy. So stop it, Buffalo Bills fans. Go out and win the game. And then followed up by Seattle versus LA, part three. I'm looking forward to, we just talk about John Walford. But hey, Russell Wilson, you know how much I love Russell Wilson, how much I've talked about him. I'm looking forward to seeing that Seattle defense and how much they've been uh, able to get things flipped, right? From the beginning of the season to where they are now. Jamal Adams, will he play? Will he not play? We'll know more about that as that game comes along. And then uh, the the Saturday nightcap, right? Tom Brady (laughs) taking on the Washington football team. And Washington, the winners of the NFC East, someone had to win it. And a lot of respect to Washington and Alex Smith. Um, Do they have enough though? Because I think Tom Brady, the Buccaneers, man, they're peaking at the right time. And that's what the NFL should be about. We we care way too much about what happens in the early months, right? Like, oh, man, they're not a playoff team. They're not a Super Bowl team. Man, you win two or three games in a row in December. All of a sudden, people's perception changes. Well, I think they're the hottest team in the NFL. And they've got, well, you were dog cussing them. In September and October, now all of a sudden they're your team. Well, they've gotten better. That's why as an analyst, I I, I weed through some of the uh, the television talk. And let's just sit down and say, like, this is this is the real deal right here. This is this this is real football. And then go over to Sunday, everybody. The Sunday wildcard matchups. I mean, I think the game of the weekend for me is Tennessee and Baltimore. Man, if that doesn't make you get up out of bed on Sunday morning with a cup of coffee, put your robe on, put a nice little warm blanket on and go watch some football and just sit back and watch the the Baltimore defense go against King Henry like we talked about earlier in this podcast. Watch Tannehill versus Jackson. And then you have that element of not only how they played this year and Tennessee came away with a victory, but don't think that Baltimore doesn't remember what happened last year. Don't think that Baltimore doesn't remember Tennessee going to their place and knocking them out the playoffs as the number one seed in the AFC. That this year, guess what? Baltimore, they get to return the favor. They get to go on the road in the playoffs and probably do what Tennessee did to them last year. That's my game of the weekend. But the game following that one in the midday, we'll see what happens with that one. The New Orleans Saints, right? They'll be uh, taking on the uh, Chicago Bears. And look, 
Bears don't have a chance, but we'll see what the status of Alvin Kamara is. We'll, uh, we'll, he'll be available. You know, he tested positive for COVID. He missed week 17. So we'll see what that looks like, but I'm still pulling. I think, I think I'm going to take the uh, New Orleans Saints in that one. And the final game of wild card weekend, the final game, the one that uh, I guess a lot of people want to see, um, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns, right? They get the primetime Sunday night matchup. But right now, it seems to be that COVID is winning that battle so far. A lot of guys uh, may be out for this game. For the Cleveland Browns, we shall see. I know the left guard, Batonio, he'll be out possibly. Um, Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, tested positive for COVID. So it's just a lot of news and notes. Probably you guys already know this. But for me, I just wanted to put it out there because I'm looking forward to this week's games and how they uh, go out. So, you know, we'll, we'll analyze those next week's the great performances. If you see some place, you're, hey, what about this performance? And I'll make sure I go back and look at the tape and let you know what I saw as well. Um, but to close this podcast today, I do want to give out my awards. Um, the MVP uh, of the uh, Total Coverage podcast, it goes to Aaron Rodgers. Congrats to Aaron Rodgers. I think that he played phenomenal. I say that because I think more importantly, his performance this year, made us forget about them drafting Jordan Love, <laughs> the quarterback in the first round. So let's just put that out there. Jordan Love was the first round quarterback drafted by the Green Bay Packers, and yet Aaron Rodgers responded with an MVP season. So yeah, Jordan Love, I don't know what's next for your career, but I'll tell you this. How can he unseat an MVP in two seasons? All right, I say two seasons because after year three, you know, teams offer you the fifth year option on a contract. So either you're going to push Aaron Rodgers out two years after an MVP season or Jordan Love may be a trade chip. So I'm just throwing that out there. Offensive player of the year, I told you, Derrick Henry, man, 2027. Yeah, that's the amount of yards he had this year. Congrats to uh, Derrick Henry. He's my offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year. I know a lot of people talked about Xavier Howard, TJ Watt. But I can't deny what Aaron Donald has been able to do. Um, a guy who, again, over 10 plus sacks. I believe he's got 12 and a half or 13 and a half this year. I forget. Um, but the amount of double teams and triple teams that he sees. And again, the guy opposite him got 10 and a half sacks. Last year was Dante Fowler. This year was Leonard Floyd. So not only does he raise the play of people around him, he raised the play of his defense. Because his defense, by the way, was the number one defense in the NFL, that goes for something. So Aaron Donald, my defensive player of the year. Uh, my comeback player of the year for the Washington football team, Alex Smith. Fellow 2005 draft class guy, love Alex, loved him since we competed with each other in college. And I'm just happy to see him back. He's healthy. Uh, I look forward to watching him play uh, a little more football, man. I'm excited that he's in the playoffs. And like I said, comeback player of the year. My offensive rookie of the year goes to none other than Justin Herbert, quarterback of the Los Angeles Chargers. What a year he had. And think about this. When people with the Chargers, and I'm here in Los Angeles, and it was like at pick number five, do the Chargers go with Herbert or Tua? They stuck with Herbert. They went with Herbert. A lot of people were like, man, but what about Tua? What about? I think they got it right. <laughs> I think the Chargers got it right. Now, they'll be looking for a head coach to get him right for next season as well. But man, you see the potential with a guy who set some records this year for passing touchdowns by a rookie. Justin Herbert, man, I think the sky's gonna be the limit. This kid, I think right now, and we'll see what it looks like in year two, but what I've seen from year one, man, he is the offensive rookie of the year. Defensive rookie of the year, Jeremy Chin. 
All right, defensive back for the Carolina Panthers. I'm, I'm, he's going to share it with Chase Young. Okay, I got both guys. See, Jeremy Chin didn't get a lot of pub because he was with the Panthers. And you saw Chase Young throughout and just some of the play. So I'm doing a, a co-defensive players of the year. Chase Young, Jeremy Chin. Now, it may go when the writers go out. They may just give it to Young, but I'm giving it to both these guys. Chase Young, Jeremy Chin, my defensive player of the year. And um, the last one, coach of the year. And this is a difficult one. Very difficult. Because some would say Ron Revere. Okay. Very deserving. The Washington football team, they win a division. But it's something about winning a division and you only won, what, six games <laughs> or seven games? They went, oh, seven games. Uh, that's a lot. And I know that he what he had to go through. But um, I kind of look at a team that even though they didn't make the playoffs, it's hard not to think about where the Miami Dolphins had come from. And I look at Brian Flores and that team in Miami a couple years ago was just god awful. And yet this team was right there for the playoff. Had they went to the playoffs? Yeah, I think I would have definitely wrapped it up for him. But I think for this season, I'm going to go with Brian Flores as my coach of the year. Um, just outstanding job. Um, a team that finished over 500. I mean, how can I deny what Miami was able to do? Um, so I'll give him my award this year. But definitely a lot of worthy coaches on, on that list, right? I could throw Mike Tomlin in there you know, for what his team was able to accomplish. I mean, you could throw Kevin Stefanski in there. I mean, this team, Cleveland, was two years removed from going 0-16, right? And yet they were able to, you know, get to the playoffs this year. So kudos to them as well. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with uh, I'm gonna stick with what's going on in Miami. Just I feel like it's a better story, right? Who? All right, man, that's enough. That's enough. I ranted for a while, way too long for this edition, the week 17 edition, as we head into the playoff portion of the Total Coverage Podcast. I can't wait to discuss with you what happens over this wild card weekend and get your thoughts, some great performances, great coaching uh, aspects too, I'm gonna look at as well. We're gonna dive into that as well on the next edition of the Total Coverage Podcast. Always remember, you can find the Total Coverage Podcast on the new Sirius XM app. That's right. Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, just look it up, find podcasts, type in total coverage, and there you have it right there. All right. So I appreciate you guys hanging with me through 17 weeks, 256 games, and now on to the playoffs. I look forward to uh, talking with you all next week. From our producer, Chris Tyler, myself, as always, Kirk Morrison. See you all for the playoff edition of the Total Coverage Podcast next week. Good football, y'all. Serious XM Podcasts.